Hello there. Thank you for inviting me into your eardrums. I am honored to keep you company for a little bit. I'm Sarah Wendell. This is episode number 444 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. That was really fun to say. My guest today is Rose Lerner. She has a new Audible exclusive audiobook out this week, The Wife in the Attic. It is a lesbian retelling of Jane Eyre. And I think I just heard a whole bunch of you pause this so that you could go one click by. Fear not, the ebook will be released later this year if you are a reader, not a listener, but we are going to have such a good conversation because I've recorded it and edited it, so I know that it's good and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. We're going to talk about the differences between Gothic and historical and why and when Gothic's surge in popularity. We're also going to talk about the subgenre that I am calling Earl Had to Die and we talk about Rose's adoration of the Raffles books. Plus, I have a little sample of The Wife in the Attic at the end of the book, so you can enjoy that too, I hope. I will have links to where you can find Rose and all of the things we talk about in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Duke Heist by Erica Ridley. There is some serious trope catnip in here. We have secret identities, forbidden love, opposites attract, found family, heists, and if you like the show Leverage, you'll like this one. Regency bad boys doing good things like Robin Hood with dukes and carriages, right? Chloe Winchester is completely forgettable, a curse that gives her the ability to blend into any crowd. When the only father she's ever known makes a dying wish for his adopted family of orphans to recover a missing painting, she's the first one her siblings turn to to steal it back. No one expects that in doing so, she'll also abduct a handsome duke. Oh dear. Lawrence Gosling, the Duke of Faircliff, is tortured by his father's mistakes, and to repair his estate's ruined reputation, he must wed a highborn heiress. But when he finds himself in a carriage being driven down the cobblestone streets of London by a beautiful woman who refuses to listen to him, he fears his heart is hers. But how can he sacrifice his family's legacy to follow true love? The Winchester siblings represent a wonderful, diverse, and inclusive cast in terms of sexuality, gender identity, class, race, and ableness. Many of these elements are own voices for Erica Ridley, who is biracial, bisexual, and has a chronic disability. If you are curious about this series, there's a free prequel novella called The Governess Gambit, and I have a link for you in the show notes. Grab your copy of The Duke Heist at your favorite store or visit ericaridley.com for more information. And... There is a special bonus for a limited time. If you buy the Duke Heist and register your purchase on Erica's website, she'll send you a free bonus Winchester novella. Visit ericaridley.com. That's E-R-I-C-A-R-I-D-L-E-Y.com. I have a compliment. I love this so much. To Elizabeth G., a recent doctoral thesis on environmental history has revealed that the light patterns through the leaves in ancient woodlands Spell out your name on the forest floor as a tribute to your awesomeness. If you would like a compliment of your very own, have a look at patreon.com slash smartpitches. The Patreon community keeps the show going each week and makes sure that every episode is accessible to everyone. So if you are interested in joining to support the show, monthly pledges start at a dollar. Head over to patreon.com slash smartpitches. And if you enjoyed our recent episode with Aaron and Melody from Heaving Bosoms, and you think you might like to own some merch inspired by Toxic Desire, heads up. In collaboration with author Robin Lovett, we have a limited time merch collection that says, stay golden, horny girl. (laughs) All proceeds benefit the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and the shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, and mugs are available for a limited time only. I have a link in the show notes. And it's at the top of Smart Bitches Trashy Books if you need to grab one, which I think you do, while they're still available. And remember, stay golden. (laughs) This podcast is also brought to you by Ritual, a daily multivitamin that is delivered to your doorstep. What's in it? Ritual has a clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use. What will you not find in there? Sugar, GMO, major allergens, synthetic fillers, and artificial colorant. I really like knowing what's in the vitamins that I take, and I like that the delayed release of each capsule works. I never get nauseous. The packaging also tells me the source of every nutrient, and I kind of like knowing how the different elements were developed and how they keep it vegan. Ritual 
makes building healthy habits really easy. Multivitamins show up at your door every month with free shipping always, and you can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription at any time. If you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. So you can get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash Sarah to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash Sarah. I have an outstanding listener submitted joke today. I'm very excited. So stay tuned after the show for terrible jokes. But now let's begin this fun conversation with Rose Lerner about all things gothic. My name is Rose Lerner. I write historical romance and now gothics. And um, I also uh, have a um, freelance business where I do editing and book doctoring and research assistance for other authors. Um, and that's at rosedoesthereresearch.com. Uh, always be plugging. <laughs> but uh, yeah. my historical romance are mostly Regency, um, mostly set in the small town of Lively St. Lemiston. Um and uh, yeah, that, that's me. And uh, you, you have a new book out. I, or it will be out by the time I release this. So you have a new book ooh, out now. So exciting. It's been a while. Now, now I, I am a member of your Patreon newsletter, which is a damn delight. And it's seriously, it's so good. I enjoy like, oh, it's Wednesday, hot damn. Ooh. But I've been sort of watching this book be written from behind the scenes, and then it became an Audible original. Um, so just tell me everything about The Wife in the Attic. Like, just start at the beginning, chapter one, um, <laughs> read the whole thing out loud because it's an Audible. And then and tell me about the process of adopting, or excuse me, the process of adapting it for, for Audible original development. This is really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited. I've never had an audiobook before and I've, I've really wanted to have one. So um, this was a really oh, exciting your first audiobook. That's a, that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm really, really happy. And I've, um, I've like the, I love the audition from the narrator. Um, I've had a couple of conversations with her. Her name is Elsa Lepecky Bean and uh, she seems fantastic. So I'm really excited to hear how it comes out. I haven't heard it either. I haven't heard it at the point that we're recording. Hopefully by the time you're listening, I will have. Um, but so it's a um, FF Gothic um, set in, it's sort of a J, it's a Jane Eyre retelling basically. So it's like this um, governess uh, comes to this remote estate to take care of this little girl and it seems like maybe the, the her employer is interested in her, but he has a wife who she hasn't met because the wife is sick and never leaves her room. Uh, but something seems weird. <laughs> something seems slightly off. And as she's there longer, she starts to realize that, you know, something very bad is happening. Um and of course, I mean, look, it's not a secret. It's a, it's an FF. So she and the wife in the attic um, fall in love. So I just spoiled Aww. it for you. Well, you, you kind of knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah. So you started writing this story just as a novel, and then it was turned into an Audible original. What was that process like? So it's not like some of the Audible originals kind of go more toward the radio play side where there's actually like multiple actors. Um, this is still more, I mean, more towards the traditional audiobook side, but I did um, modify, I tried to modify it for audio in that, uh, you know, if, if there was a line where it was like, blah, 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 he said sarcastically, like I took out, he said sarcastically, so that the poor narrator wouldn't have to deliver it sarcastically and then let you know that they had said it sarcastically. Um, and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, uh, where if it made more sense for it to be in the delivery than to say something, um, I would uh, put that in, you know, like a note to the narrator rather than in the text itself. One of the things that, one of the things that I love about romance is how much of the story happens in the dialogue happens in the interaction between characters. So in effect, it, it's, 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 it lends itself to audio, the genre itself. I agree. What were some of your favorite things about writing this book? You know, it was honestly not the 
easiest writing process, but that wasn't because of the book. That was because of, um, you know, I started writing it probably in like 2017. Um, and then in the middle, like I got divorced and I moved across the country. Um, so it ended up taking a lot longer to write it than I was hoping for. Um, but I really never stopped being excited about the concept. Um, and I really love the narrator, Miss Oliver. Um, the, I, the, I put a lot of myself in her. I mean, you know, I, I feel like that is every character because where else, what else are you going to put in them other than yourself? But right. um, I really am fond of her. And um, it was also like really fun getting to do something kind of new with genre, um, getting to go a little darker uh, and maybe more like twisted than um, I had. I, I actually feel like the last time that we talked, or at least the, the last podcast that I did with you, I talked about how like watching professional wrestling had reminded me how much I love like twisted codependent relationships. Yes, um, that is that is in and, fact what we talked about. It's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I had such a good time recording it. Um, and uh, so I, that was really fun for me to be able to go like a little darker and not have to kind of tie everything up as neatly at the end. Um, with a romance, like I at least, you know, there, people do it all different ways and I think they're all valid. But personally, I try to kind of, I want the reader to end my books with a sense that the people have like a healthy relationship. Um, and yes. so there's like a limit to how dark I necessarily want to go, uh, with like what a mess or how potentially toxic or whatnot a character might be just because I need to be able to resolve at least enough of it by the end that the reader feels confident that like, you know, they're going to be a good husband or wife or boyfriend or girl, you know, or particularly another. So, um, like with a gothic there's like a little bit more of a chance to go a little darker because it doesn't have to tie up as neatly at the end right but this is a romance with its gothic leanings right well they i mean i guess you the reader will have to decide how happily they think it is an ever after but it is certainly an ever after and i i love them and i think they'll be i think they'll do well together but (laughs) the reader will have to be the judge of that You mentioned earlier when you were introducing yourself that you write historical romances and that this is a gothic and you really enjoyed the opportunity to get a little darker into more precarious and uncertain situations. You talked a little bit about how moving from one to the other seemed like a fit for you. What do you see are the differences and similarities between historical romance and gothic? I mean, there are are unique parts of, of a gothic, but what are the distinctions between them? Well, I, I think a gothic can be a romance, but isn't always. Like if you read right. the older gothics, some have a happy ending and some don't. Another thing that I think like of, is very common, and this used to be more common in older romances as well, but um, it's much more like gothics tend to be single point of view. Like I said, that used to be very common for romance, like in general as well. But now the double point of view is much, much more common. Um, whereas for the Gothic, I think the single point of view is not only a genre marker, but also really integral to the format because it's really important that the character doesn't know who to trust. Yes. And that the character, that, that the reader doesn't know what the character may be wrong about, maybe right about. If you can see the other character's thoughts, that is too much information and it, defeats you know like it it undercuts that right yeah the the precariousness of the single point of view is the the tension of that is diminished if you know what the other character is thinking even though the main character may not yeah I totally see what you're saying there and then also I think I think I've talked to you about I think I've heard you talk about this before but like the idea that in a, a lot of historical romance is about taking sort of a societal power imbalance and balancing it within the couple so in yeah. a gothic, that doesn't necessarily happen. I mean, it, it could, but I think that the gothic, so a very frequent structure for a gothic is like a, a person comes to a house for the first, you know, a new house. They're a stranger in this house. And the house at first seems maybe fine. 
But something is wrong. Like something is wrong at the heart of this house. And at the end of the book, generally, whatever is wrong in the house has been resolved in some way, whether that's by being fixed, be Mm -hmm. the, the house being destroyed, right? There's like a lot of ways that that, but like that is resolved in the house, but the larger, like usually the thing that's wrong in the house is a larger societal, you know, ties into a larger societal issue of some kind. Like, um, you know, the the unfair marriage laws or, mm-hmm. um, you know, some kind of greater injustice that is being perpetrated on an individual scale, you know, child abuse, like some kind of that is enabled by the society, you know, like some kind of um, thing that is like a structural problem in the society that is being on, done on like a smaller scale in this house. And so the thing in the house is resolved, but the larger thing is not resolved and so there's a sense of lingering unease. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think that like that for me, like, and, and you will, the, another thing, I, this, I, I thought, I've thought about this before, but not quite in this way. Um, do you know uh, Angela Toscano, yes. uh, Lazara's Paste? Um, she just started, she just started a Patreon and I got the January newsletter and she was actually talking about gothics and she talked about how they tend to have a lot less denouement than a romance where the character, the, if the characters in the Gothic do get together, it will typically happen on the last page and the book will end. Oh, that's so true. Right? Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, that 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 is the trend. Absolutely. That is how most of them end. It's like, oh, and we kiss and we're done. Right. And so it leaves you, you. Right. Like with a romance, it's like you want to end on that like high of like everything being perfect, you know? And like, there's the epilogue and like the every, like, you know, not but like in theory, like all the major threads are resolved in some kind of positive or at least satisfying way. Like you, and you're just like, ah, everything is perfect. Whereas with a Gothic, you want to end it and you're like, oh, it's over. And there's this should be this sort of like, almost like jolt of like, wait, but the other shoe never quite, never dropped. Like, is it, is it going to, is it, but it's over, I guess. And like you kind of want to end with more of that note of uneasiness, um, not necessarily. You know, you want things to be resolved, and there to be some kind of resolution. But the feeling that is left is different, right? Because if part of the, um, if one of the hallmarks of a gothic is that you have a usually young naive person moving to a new house or place, and something isn't right. Whatever it is that's societal that's causing that unease is not going to go away, and solving the unease isn't really possible. You can't make that unease go away. Right. And I think there are other, like, you see, like, I would, like, um, for example, Get Out, the horror movie. Yeah. Like, I would, I really experienced that, like, I would almost call that a gothic. Um, And I feel like that's a really great example where it's like, I mean, I I don't know if I, is it okay to spoil the movie? Yes, my my general rule for spoilers is that if it's been on an airplane, it's fair game. Okay, so you know, at the end, like he survives, and like I think, de- gosh, I saw it when it came out, but I, I think he like defeats that particular family, but like right. he gets out, but you know, institutional racism, is, you know, hasn't been fixed, or like yes, it's like the uh, the ending of while when no one was watching by Alyssa Cole. Yes, or like Stepford Wives. I don't actually remember how Stepford Wives ends, but like, um, even if she is, I think maybe she doesn't escape at the end, but like, even if she did, it's like, so maybe she might have escaped this like creepy suburban place where they're turning the women into robots, but like, you know, the institution of marriage has not magically been, you know. Right. So like at the end of a Gothic, the house itself might be destroyed, but what created the house is still there or the house itself is still there because you can't get rid of it. Yeah. And that that ties interestingly into a lot of haunted house stories. Yeah. Because it it creates the setting and the confinement of terror and horror. Yeah. And uncertainty. There was a really great, I think it was under the Barbara Michaels pen name. Um, She wrote really great. She's most famous, I think, for the Amanda Peters mysteries and the, Mm -hmm. but um, 
I want to say Barbara Michaels was the Gothic pen name, but it, I think the house was called the book was called Houses of Stone. But it's one of those ones that's like a. I can't remember if it's actually a dual timeline where you see stuff in the past and in the present, or if it's like she's just researching the past, but she's moved into this house and she thinks that it's haunted. But at the end, she finds the body of the girl from the past. Like she finds like her skeleton in like a tunnel or something. And it's like, it resolves the mystery, but it doesn't really resolve anything. Right. It's like the story is over, but like, this girl was murdered. Right. The question of whether or not the house was haunted has been resolved, but the underlying problem that created the alleged haunting is still there and is not solvable because she's dead. You, you can't undo that. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I will be right back with Rose and more gothic discussion, but I wanted to remind you that you can have more extra podcast goodness with me and Amanda Tuesday nights at 7.30 Eastern on Stereo. We have a live podcast after party. So if you've ever wanted to talk with us live or you try to talk to us while we're podcasting, this is a great opportunity. Tuesday nights, 7.30 on Stereo. All you need to do is download the free Stereo app at Stereo.com slash smartbitches. You can connect with us, record messages, and we'll talk with you. We love making book recs. We like talking about food. You, you've listened to us. You know how this is. Just go to Stereo.com slash smartbitches to get started and join us Tuesday nights at 7.30 Eastern. Now, back with the show. So was it difficult to shift from historical romance to writing gothics? What was... What were some of the things that you really enjoyed about it? I mean, I think that like gothics tend to be popular and gothic type stories at, at times when people are feeling a lot of dread. Yes. Um, and there's something like, I remember when I saw Get Out, like there is something about that sense of impending doom and just the air is just thick with tension and dread that I find both incredibly unpleasant and incredibly cathartic. Um, because I think I, I am a somewhat anxious person and I frequently feel a sense of dread in my life. And so like, there's something very cathartic in having that experience. And in the story, it is typically justified, right? It's not just like, yeah. I feel dread for no reason and I'm catastrophizing, but, and, but I, so I think that, that there's something, you know, catharsis is like the experience fictionally of very painful emotions that then, helps to sort of process your own dread that is unconnected with the story, but like the experience of this like intense, like, and you can be sort of more open to that experience because it is fictional and it's not like, you don't have to access your own painful memories or like fears of the future, whatever it is, but you can like kind of open yourself to that emotion and like feel it. And there's something that is like, um, I don't know if healing is the right word, but like you can sometimes feel better afterwards. And so um, I think that because there was so much dread everywhere in, in this country after the 2016 election. Um, and things that, since since then have gone so well. Oh, so well. Yeah, no, we were all right. We were all right to feel so much dread. But um, like, I think that it was a way for me in some ways to process the the dread that I was feeling and the For anger sure. that I was feeling and the, the gaslighting that we were all experiencing as it. Yes, it's, it's no accident that the term gaslighting comes from gothics, right? I, yeah, I would say so. Right. Like I would call that movie a gothic. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you know, if you think about it, it's almost as if, um, so when we're recording this, the inauguration is on, is, is on Wednesday. It's oh, in God. two days. Yeah, Exactly. So we know that the immediate problem is going to resolve because Trump will be out of office. Oh, but that doesn't mean any of the other problems going on have resolved. So this is a very gothic transition. <laughs> like we have we have this small amount of improvement. Like the, this this particular problem has come to an end, but the problems that created that problem, the, the the structure of the house is still rather flawed. Yeah. And I don't think it's any coincidence that if you look at gothics when they're popular, it's times of like both intense political and social change yep. with a backlash and then also times of um like great social like trauma so like this the times that gothics have been really really popular is the 1790s and what was going on then the french revolution 
Oh, um, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. He's a dick. Um, definitely some feminism. Uh, like about to have a huge conservative, I mean, there, the conservative backlash was already starting in the 1790s, but um, got worse and worse and worse through the Victorian era, really. Um, and then the eight, seven, the 1970s. Another time where not a whole lot was going on, <laughs> you know, except for my birth and everything. That's all. Right. Yeah. So um, it's a time of massive, unignorable, un unavoidable change that is being violently opposed and you can't sort of sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not happening. Right. And I think you, the authors like a, it's not a coincidence either that there is a small Gothic peak in the 1930s. With oh, like interesting. Daphne, like Daphne du Maurier's big Gothics, like Jamaica and Rebecca, um, those came out in the thirties. Wow. Yeah. Which was its own sort of upheaval and transition of pain. Yes. Wow. So um so you are hella on trend, is what you're saying here. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are other Jane Eyre retellings and spins coming out right now that are doing really well. So hopefully that cha- that uh, that 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 train will grab you as well. I have captured the zeitgeist. If you want to be relevant, you should listen to my book. Damn right. (laughs) You also mentioned when we were emailing that in addition to gothics being popular at times of upheaval and um, rebellion and backlash and and great social and and political shifts, um, revenge fantasies are really popular right now, which I completely agree. Um, you said you noticed an uptick in women get their revenge on awful men. Yeah. Genre fiction. I have called this entire subgenre Earl had to die. <laughs> I see. I feel that. That's great. Right. Yeah. And that includes so many books that I'm like, oh, okay. So there's a book by, um, an author named Lane. I cannot remember the first name. Maybe Lauren Lane. Uh, they never learn, which is about a female college professor who is slowly, carefully plotting and eradicating terrible men on her campus. Ooh. Say the name and again. They never learn. All right. And I will give you a small spoiler. If you would like a small spoiler, there is also a lesbian romance in this book. Yes. And then uh, Pretty Little Wife by Darby Kane, who is also Helen K. Diamond, Earl Had to Die. Um, There are – and even some of Nalini Singh's thrillers are Earl Had to Die books. So it sounds like you – Yeah, and didn't – oh, my gosh. I'm such a terrible person. Victoria Helen Stone, is that her other – Oh, Yes. Obviously, Jane Doe. Yeah. Absolutely. Jane Doe is, in, is, the, is the ultimate Earl had to die. <laughs> and here's a whole book about how. <laughs> well, he doesn't die. He gets humiliated. Oh, I know. Which, I was kind of was like, oh, I want her to kill him, though. I love that his complete, his, 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 his comeuppance is to live in his humiliation. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it wasn't like, you know, it was fine. I just like, I, I would have, I, I just really hated him. <laughs> It would have been really, okay really if he ended him. up dead. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been fine. But the whole subgenre of Earl Had to Die seems to be very popular. And I'm really curious about what your thoughts are on revenge fantasies and revenge scenarios in fiction and what they mean. So, you know, I kind of have, like, I, I don't have very well synthesized thoughts about this, I feel like, but it is something that I pay attention to. I feel like there's... I like revenge fantasies when they are coming from the, the, when they try to think how to explain this. There's like a genre of revenge fantasy that is actually the dominant group uh, imagining that the group that they are oppressing hates them and wants revenge. Right. So like kill bill, for example, is like a man's fantasy of a woman taking revenge on her rapist. And I feel like there are a lot of those out there. And those make me a little uncomfortable um, because the truth is that the majority, you know, like that uh, the majority of women I know don't actually want to like murder all men. Right. Because they're, they're upset about being, you know, about misogyny, but like they aren't actually planning to murder men. That kind of revenge fantasy can make me uncomfortable um, or feel exploitative in this way. Um, But there is something really cathartic about just like, uh, like that scene at the beginning. Have you seen the X Men movie, the the first one with the younger Magneto and um, no, Professor I have X? Not. 
there's this scene in that movie. There's like a couple scenes. So at the beginning, it's like young Magneto when he's like in like, I guess it's the sixties and he's like tracking down Nazis and killing them. And like, he goes into this bar in Argentina and just like kills some Nazis. And then he like goes to the Swiss bank Oh, the scene in the Swiss bank. He goes into the Swiss bank and he tells him that he wants, he's he's trying to get the guy to tell him, I think the bank account number of the guy that he's tracking. And the guy says, and he says, tell me the guy's bank account number. And the guy says, this isn't, I mean, it was like that kind of bank. And then he like starts, and I don't, um, you probably know, but just in case anybody doesn't know this, like um, one of the things that Nazis did was take gold teeth out of Jewish people and, keep the gold obviously um it was pretty common back in the day for people to have gold fillings in their teeth because it's a very malleable metal um and it's also you know if you don't have a lot of money and you don't have a bank account it's a way to have portable assets but primarily it's just like if you can afford it it's it was it you know it's it's uh hypoallergenic it's good for it's good for fillings so yeah they would take gold fillings so he he holds out his hand and he starts, you know, he does his Magneto thing and the bank manager has gold fillings in his teeth and they start to come out and it's like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> like, it's just like, yes, make them pay. And I would watch a whole show that was just like hot young Magneto, like getting revenge on Nazis, like forever. I, I would watch that just constantly when it's coming from a place of like, obviously, I don't genuinely want to like murder everybody. Um but they're really trying to put their boot on my neck. And so it's just nice to think about getting a little revenge, a little payback. Like I, I enjoy that. I quite enjoy that. And there's also, like you said earlier, the catharsis of experiencing the resolution that is so rarely actually achieved. Exactly. Like this rebalancing is not common. It doesn't usually happen. And so to watch it happen and watch someone plot it and, own it and get away with it is very satisfying. And then there's stories like yours where something horrible is going on and the protagonists have to outwit it without spoiling too much. <laughs> they have to they have to outthink and out nefarious whatever is going wrong. And like you said, they they resolve that particular issue even though the larger issue still exists. But it is very satisfying to see somebody come out ahead when usually that does not happen and you certainly don't get to witness it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see why that's very satisfying. With a gothic story that you've written, are you writing more? Um, There's definitely going to be at least a sequel um, about the the narrator's best friend. Um, It's going to be a lady's companion situation. So... um, she also gets hired to come and be the lady's companion in this uh, sort of not too near the other house, obviously, because it's isolated, but uh, sort of in the same area, general area of the country. And um, the, the woman that she's been hired to live with uh, has recently, like her husband has kicked her out for cheating on him um, and banished her to this remote country estate. And so, um, but, and something, and then the, the woman's mother comes to visit and like, the woman's mother seems fine, but like the woman obviously doesn't want her there. And there's like, I don't, I, um, well, I, I don't exactly know everything that's going to happen. And I also don't want to spoil too much, but, um, I'm excited. I'm just starting to work on that now. And it's, it, it fits with the general theme of a lot of your books where women are going to work together to rebalance some of the great imbalance that they have to navigate. Yes. Yeah, and I've been wanting to write. Um, I've been wanting to write FF romance for a long time, so I'm excited to mm-hmm. finally do that as well. And there's lots of it now. I mean, I wouldn't say lots, but there's there there's is, more there than there more, used to be. There's more than there used to be, and it's quite lovely. Yeah, I actually just. Um, I think I can say I'm uh, reading the draft of the third Olivia Waite book. Yeah, you mentioned this in your Patreon newsletter. Is it good? good. It's so good. I don't know. I think that in addition to increased numbers of lesbian romances and lesbian historicals and and gothics, that 
the increasing number of nerdy lady love romances, I'm I'm okay with that. Nerdy ladies for everybody. Yes. And it's so often, I mean, I love competence porn in romance. I love characters displaying their competence. And when you have a character that is passionate about something and and engages with what they love in a way that's integral to their character, it's really fun reading too. Yeah, and this one is a heist. Oh, yes. I love a good heist. Heist is up there with Earl had to die. Whatever. (laughs) We're just taking it back. Don't mind us. Yeah. Well, like some, you can combine them. Like that was one of the great things about leverage, right? It was like every episode there was a heist and then also somebody got their comeuppance. (sighs) Ah, so satisfying. Similar to the Oceans movies too, especially Oceans 8, Oceans Ladies, Oceans 8. I think that's the only one I've seen of the oceans movies but yes i i had mixed feelings i mean i I, like there were a lot of things i loved about it i felt like they the heist part like the ending didn't quite i don't know i didn't leave it it as as happy and excited as i wanted but the first three quarters of it though were a damn delight yes they just you're right it was like they didn't do the part where you think everything has gone wrong and then it was all part of the heist you know or whatever the equivalent like that you need that moment because then you get the rush of relief Mm -hmm. um and and also the two ladies should have ended up together like i really thought they were gonna do a bit where like she got on the back of her bike and i was like why did we not i don't understand why we didn't do that i so agree with you completely the case I also love how Anne Hathaway shows up as this very specific type of femininity and then subverts it and just chews on the scenery. And she's in a movie with like Kate Blanchett and Sarah Paulson and there she is just not. I love Anne Hathaway so much. Easily the best part <laughs> of the Les Mis movie. Easily. So I always ask this question. What are you reading that you want to, in addition to early drafts of Olivia Waite books the rest of us cannot read yet? Thanks a lot. <laughs> what are you reading that you want to tell people about? I actually made a list this time so I wouldn't be completely caught flat-footed, which is what always happens to me when I get this question. My brain just goes completely blank. Um, Whenever someone asks me, I frantically open my reading spreadsheet because I'm like, well, it's a book and it has some words. Please stand by. <laughs> yeah, I need to do that. This is why I struggle, like, even though um, – the majority of my sales are ebooks. I struggle with ebooks because I don't remember I'm reading the book if I don't see it physically sitting there. So embarrassing. So I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, but I just read uh, How to Catch a Queen, the latest uh, Lisa Cole, the new uh, the new series Runaway Royals. Loved it. Loved it. Oh my god. Okay. So first of all, it's Marriage of Convenience, which is as everybody probably knows my favorite trope. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like he uh, had to get, you know, he's the new king of this country, this little African kingdom, and he has to get married for like, you know, his father is on his deathbed. So he's not the new king quite yet at that point, but, you know, he will be. But his father's on his deathbed. He has to get married because it's like his father's dying wish or whatever. So um, they find him somebody on royalmatch.com, which is this like dating site for people that want to marry royals. So, um, of course, yeah, as you do. So they find him this this woman who, of course, is, is fantastic, um, and it, it's sort of also uh, a take on the like the the that like medieval Scottish like the laird takes a wife books right where like there'd be this like guy and he like lives in the wilds of of the Highlands in his kilt and then he, this like woman shows up and they get married for whatever reason and then she like turns everything topsy turvy by like wanting to like you know, newfangled hand washing and like herbs and um, you, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, exactly. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So it's like kind of that trope uh, she was doing a take on as well. Um, yeah. It's so good. And so um, he, but he's kind of now she, it's a mar- it's kind of also the Scottish like hand fasting thing. So there's, it's a marriage trial. So in, in four months they're going to be married for four months and then the marriage isn't final until the end and then he can decide whether to keep her or get rid of her right and uh now it's like almost to the end of the time and um he had they barely spoken and she's like starting to panic but then uh he starts he figures out that she's like smart and has ideas about how he should be running the country so he starts like secretly visiting her at night to like for her to give him like PowerPoints on politics. Oh, 
and it's so good and he's like so great he's like super like they're both so amazing like he's like he seems really scary but it's because he's anxious <laughs> there's this bit where he like he wears he's wears contacts but on days that he's gonna give his like king speech he like wears his glasses and then he takes them off before the speech so you can't see the audience that book was fantastic um I just read, uh, so anyone that follows me on Twitter knows my obsession with the raffle stories, which are, um, I really don't like, I feel like I'm going to say this and everyone's going to think I'm joking and I'm not, but it's like a, it's a Holmes Watson AU alternate universe about gay jewel thieves that was written by Arthur Conan Doyle's brother-in-law. And that is literally what it is. Like, I'm not kidding. It is a Watson Holmes alternate universe yeah yeah a jewel thieves written by conan doyle's brother-in-law was he just trying to fuck with him well so i suspect actually that he was in holmes fandom before he met conan doyle and then that's hilarious happened to fall in love with his sister i'm just guessing because i don't get the impression that they like at first i was a little worried that like maybe like that he was like in love with conan doyle or they were you know, there was some kind of thing that was like upsetting, you know, that it was upsetting or that was like, you know, the, the sister was like somehow caught up in some bullshit. But it really seems like they didn't have a strong personal relationship. And it was just that E.W. Horning like loved Sherlock Holmes stories and shipped Holmes Watson. That's um, amazing. They are so good. And I really cannot emphasize enough, like how gay they are. Like there's the, the <laughs> very first story and it's like, like E.W. Horning dares all. Like he gives no. Can I swear? I can swear, right? Oh, for God's sake! Yes. He gives no fucks, like at all. Yes. Like in the first story, it's describing, and it's like the thing is when I say it, you're gonna be like, oh my god, like that's obscene. But like it's sort of he manages to work it into a description of lock picking in this way where I didn't actually notice the first like three times that I read the story, and then I was like, oh. But so it's describing, it's describing Raffles drilling this lock. First of all, it emphasizes that they have to like lubricate the drill quite a lot. (laughs) And then. Okay, that's hilarious. It it also emphasizes that the drill bit is is one inch in diameter. And there, but then Mm -hmm. Raffles into this, they make the hole in the door into this orifice raffles inserted a forefinger no what now yeah uses the word orifice into this orifice raffles inserts a forefinger and then works all his four of his fingers in up to the thumb and then excuse me what now softly curses (laughs) i'm not kidding there's like another story where they like go on a date to the British Museum and Raffles steals a gold cup from what? the gold room and then he takes it home and then he won't sell it because he thinks it's so beautiful. And Bunny is just like, you said we were just going on a date to the British Museum and then you did a crime and now you won't like he's just like so fed up and Raffles just like loves this cup and he's like, Bunny, like when I die, like cremate me and then like bury us together in the, the deep delved earth in this cup. Bury our ashes in this cup. And I was like, okay, so you have an end of life plan with Bunny that involves you being buried together. Like this is already awesome. But then I realized this is actually a reference to Achilles and Patroclus's burial arrangement. They were buried no together. Yes, they were buried together in a golden vase. Their ashes. Oh my gosh! This is only the tip, like the, the tip, if you will, of the. Oh, sorry, iceberg. what was that? It's the what now? <laughs> <laughs> this is only the tip of the iceberg of the sheer romance that is the Raffle stories. Um, it does. It sort of has a sad ending, but uh, you can fan wank it. Um, but it is sort of sad, but, uh, you can fan wink it. Yeah. That's a word. (laughs) That's a word that means like it happens, but you can kind of explain it away as a fan. So like, you're like, right. Oh, like, you know, supposedly, I mean, whatever, I guess I'll just spoil it. They're very old stories, but like Raffles dies in the war at the end. Um, but it's a first person, like 
the Sherlock Holmes stories, they the the conceit is that Bunny is publishing their memoirs in the paper. So obviously, if Raffles faked his own death, Bunny would not say that in the story about how Raffles faked his own death that he published in the paper. So obviously not. No. And there was a story like two stories before that where Raffles faked his own death, and then he and Bunny ran away to escape this woman that wanted to elope with him. And then he and Bunny ran away to live in a little cottage in the suburbs together. So like, you know, take it with a grain of salt that anything happened to Raffles, but that is ostensibly the end. And I, I also think like there's a lot of like sort of Oscar Wilde illusions. Like if you look at like Bunny is in jail for a period and it's the same prison. It's like the dates match with Oscar Wilde's prison sentence. So yeah. So I think if Oscar Wilde hadn't died, maybe the books would have had a different resolution. But anyway, so those are fantastic. Everyone that like is paying, has been paying any attention to my social media presence has heard about it ad nauseum, but I just read Another series of stories by the same author, E.W. Horning, called Witching Hill. And these have a happy ending, which made me very happy. Um, But they're about, uh, it's again, a a beautiful nerd jock romance. But so um, there's this like jockey kid who's like just out of college and has a job as the, uh, like the super kind of for this like suburban real estate development. He's in charge of like renting out the houses and like giving people their keys. And if the plumbing is broken, he arranges for the plumber to come and whatever. And then this kid about his age um, moves in down the street and they like fall in love at first sight, basically. And it turns out that the, the the, the housing development is on the site of this estate of this like decadent 17th century nobleman. Right. And that, his ghost is like exerting an evil influence over the new tenants and causing these like respectable middle-class people to do crimes and together our heroes investigate. Absolutely. That makes, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm here. It's very adorable. Um, So yeah. And I peaked because I was very worried. I was very worried that the, the frail, like, gayer one would not survive but in fact they run away together at the end oh yeah and These they've clearly been together the whole time because it's told in the past it's, it's also told in the first person but in like the past tense so it's always like it was many years ago and perhaps now i would whatever blah 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 but so there's this one reference like and it's so great because the narrator is like so in love with this kid uvo but like uvo is not like raffles is like ridiculous like he's like so handsome and so competent and so good at cricket and like so artistic like he's good at everything right whereas like Uvo is kind of a little twerp but like the narrator loves him so much um and then I'm all sorry I, I feel like I've talked so much on this question but I am also very excited coming up I just ordered uh the new Kate Claiborne love at first um oh good yeah call. yeah I just ordered Suleika Snyder's Big Bad Wolf I'm really excited Uh, for that so books are coming in the mail and that brings us to the end of this week's episode I will have links to The Wife in the Attic in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast and I will have links to everything she mentioned that she does and where to find her online too as I mentioned in the mid-roll that has a name apparently Amanda and I are hosting a live podcast after party Tuesday evenings, 7.30 Eastern on Stereo. Just go to Stereo.com slash Smart Bitches to get started. We get to bring you extra live content, you get to interact with us, and you can record messages for us to play during the conversation. So if you're feeling a little lonely or the quarantines are starting to get to you like they are to me, please come hang out with us. We promise we'll probably be talking about books, food, drinking, baking, And we love hearing from you so you can be part of the fun. Here's a little clip from our first episode talking about Amanda's new CSA delivery. So I'm... I'm, Do you need a recipe for the carrots? No, I have one with... Okay, good. ...and panko. Um, (gasps) You said parm. I did say parm. Um, It always circles back to cheese at some point, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Mmm, cheese. 
It's a lot like our podcasts, only live and interactive, and we would love for you to hang out with us. Go to Stereo.com slash SmartBitches and join us Tuesdays at 7.30 Eastern PM. That's Tuesday, 7.30 in the evening Eastern Time, Stereo.com slash SmartBitches. And now it's time for the terrible joke, and I'm so excited about this one. This comes from Eva Moore by way of their daughter, Kira, who is age 12. Kira told this joke with so much enthusiasm that immediately it was sent to me, which is glorious, so that I can share it with you. Are you ready? You ready? Are you sure you're ready? Okay. Did you know that 10 plus 10 and 11 plus 11 are the same thing? Yep. 10 plus 10 is 20, and 11 plus 11 is 22. <laughs> Kira, thank you so much. I love this so much. This is so great. Thank you so much for sending me that. And if you want to send me a bad joke, sbjpodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you, and I love your bad jokes. Thank you, Eva and Kira. You are fabulous. On behalf of everyone here, including all of the mammals who are currently shut out of my office and mad about it, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. And don't forget, I have a quick little sample of The Wife in the Attic in about three whole seconds. Lady Palethorpe forced a smile. It's late. I ought to let you sleep. That Tabby didn't argue with. How many times had she watched her mother go, to have learned that protest was useless? My heart broke, and I wanted to ask on her behalf, Will we see you again soon? But it would sound like criticism, and if the reply was a negative... I went politely to the door and set my hand on the knob, ready to open it for her. Her ladyship put her fingers over mine to stop me. It reminded me, with a warm rush of conscious guilt, that I had let her husband hold my hand. Her eyes were wary. She had been creeping in the shadows and seen Sir Kit come to my door, or heard us in the library. She knew all about it, and now she would charge me with it. Instead. She reached out with a pretty confiding gesture to take my other hand in hers too. Thank you, she said in a low voice. I won't forget your kindness.